This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with what I guess we're called. We don't. We haven't come up with a great name for this one yet. So we, these. This is the OG meeting, which basically means that anyone who's been with Eat to Perform um, in any circumstance, this is just a Q and A session, and uh, it's between myself. Uh, Becky Avaro, who's the lead coach at Eat to Perform, and then Carolyn Mele, who is sort of one of the right-hand uh, people on the adjustment team. So when you get a second review um, each week, uh, probably should mention that, right? Like the, the one thing that's really cool about Eat to Perform is that, one, you have a one-on-one -on -one coach. But for the longest time, we had one, one review a week. And what we did was, is we brought in kind of a group to bring in a second set of eyes, but also really to be kind of the math people, right? So for the most part, your coaches might change something. They have full authority to change anything that they, anything that they seem necessary. But in general, the adjustment team is sort of the, the, you know, when you saw the beautiful mind and the, the guys coming up with all the things, you know, that's what the adjustment team does. But um, so that's what gets us to two reviews a week, which is way more than just about any other program out there. And I think what I didn't want to do was just add another review because I didn't think that that was super helpful. Um, but to have a review that actually meant and did something so um right now we are in the midst of our lifetime push we only do lifetime pushes every three to six months um that is going amazing so we're bringing a lot of a lot of people um I, i've talked about the um reason that we offer lifetime uh but if you haven't been around or listened to those podcasts the reason why we do lifetime is because, you know, someone said to me a while ago that the diet industry is set up for people to fail. And I always wanted to have a lifetime solution. And so in that lifetime solution, you know, we keep our price point relatively reasonable. Um, it's a month to month obligation for the most part. And so the people that want to be here they want to be here, right? They have the option to leave pretty much at any time. It was always frustrating, I think, for years to see how a lot of the bigger companies operated where, you know, you would sign up for like a six-month obligation and then you couldn't get out of it if it wasn't a good fit. We want to make sure it's a good fit. And then once we have that good fit, then, you know, we go ahead and give people the option to be with us forever without a membership fee. So um, that's something that I think is really important. All right, so since this is a Q&A session, I'm just gonna have Carolyn rattle off the questions. The sooner you guys can get us, uh, guys and ladies, mostly ladies, um, can get us the questions, that would be great. Make sure to use chat. Also make sure to not direct message them to me because I will not see them. Okay, we've got a question from Susan. I've often heard to keep protein high, but to not worry about carbon fat macros as long as you're staying within your calorie count. 
why are particular carb and fat macros important in Eat to Perform? Because the, the idea there, of course, is that the calories for most pr- programs are going to be very low right out the gate. And so you're not necessarily going to have a lot of um, fat or carbohydrate macros no matter what. What we're trying to do by tearing it down gradually is allow you to basically hold on to lean mass as you're going. And there's value in that from the standpoint of carbohydrate. Let me give you an example. If you then say, okay, I'm going to have mostly fats because fats um, are better for hunger signaling. They are better for hunger signaling, but the thing that they're not great for is making sure that you're getting enough insulin to hold on to the muscle that you're, you're, well, the muscle that you had built previous to that. It's not really common for you to build muscle in a deficit. And so to me, um, and what we see is that people get a significant amount of, of recomp doing it the way that we're doing it in terms of having you know, no, um, no guidelines, to be honest with you, I I don't feel like a program like that would be something that would have a lot of value to me as a client, right? Because, you know, you have to stand for something. And what we stand for is balance, right? We want to make sure that, you know, we're getting you enough carbohydrate so that, you know, you're showing up at the gym, you're able to put in a fair amount of work, of course, in fat loss, that's going to be difficult. But it also sets sets up this paradigm, where once calories come back, I mean, once once your calories come back, and they get to that 2200 2500 level for for women, you're just not going to add that that much in terms of fat to make that big of a difference. And so um, there's, a, there's an interesting study that came out recently, and it, it actually addressed this question. And what it addressed was, if all things were equal, would flexible dieting be better or would low carbohydrate dieting would be better? And the results were really interesting because it definitely showed what most people would think that no, it's not going to make a difference one way or the other. But it did make a difference once you were done with the dieting period, right? Because what happens is, is one, if you're overloading on fats, because I'm assuming that that's what you're talking about, because most people aren't going to go, oh, I'm going to have virtually zero fats and then just have a lot of carbohydrates, right? So what you're opting for then is a scenario where your body is not necessarily ready for calories to go up. So once calories start to go up, what this study found was, is that the flexible eater eaters actually um, had much better recomp, build, built a lot of muscle in comparison to the other two. And the reason why is because a flexible eater who learned to eat in a balanced way is going to basically transfer those skills as calories start to become normal and they can be mindful. It's not mindful as an example um, to eat low carb and then use that in a reverse. I've literally never heard of anyone reverse 
you know, I mean, they might add 200 calories or eat a little bit more steak on one given night, but in general, you know, it's not a good paradigm for doubling your calories, which is what most of your calories would be from a normal standpoint eventually, right? So you're kind of thinking with the mindset of someone just starting. I'd like you to start to think of the mindset of what the end game is because, you know, everybody on this call has probably been on multiple diets, but what you probably haven't done is systematically brought calories back so that you can perform better in the gym and things of this nature. So that's the reason why we do it, right? Is because flexible dieting in my mind is much more of a, it's just a much better paradigm as calories come back. Okay, Ciara, who just became a lifer yesterday, um, said she's still pretty new. How are bumps determined? Other, uh, other than staying in the green for success with Eat to Perform, any other strategies to get the most out of it? So what I'd like to know is what phase she's in, right? Because it's not really helpful to, to answer it one way or the other. Okay, so she's in AP. Um, are you in the middle AP, right? So there's two versions of AP. There's the there's the AP going into fat loss too. And then there's the AP that will bring you ultimately to PR. She's coming out of a mini cut and going into back to PR. Okay. So I'm going to answer it kind of weirdly. You know, um, I think if, if you're coming from a mini cut, the big thing to realize is that you're probably going to end up at that weight again right? Like a mini cut is not something that, you know, from our point of view, and it's kind of person dependent, but, but I would say we, for a full fat loss cycle, we're kind of aiming for 15 to 20 pounds, right? And that doesn't mean that if you're 115 pounds that you're going to lose 20 pounds, right? And then all of a sudden you're at 95 pounds. Um, But in general, we do kind of have like these basic ideas, and obviously they change as people are leaner. So I think that when you are in a mini cut, you're probably trying to address maybe, you know, summer just got away from you a little bit or something of that nature. The problem with a mini cut is that people play it too close to the best. And it was interesting because Stephanie brought up a post and she was talking about some weight gain as, as um, you know, she moved through PR. And what, what she really didn't emphasize in that was that um, she was trying to be aggressive, right? So, so it, was, it, it is 100% within her option to choose not to be as aggressive as she, she was, right? But she wanted to get back to how she felt, how she performed in the gym when her macros were at the highest, which, you know, um, she was one of, you know, our female clients who's had, you know, some of the highest calories over time. And so she wanted to get back to, to that regard. And so we had, you know, I have about five clients, right? Stephanie's one of my clients. I also have another client who was like, 
I don't really want what happened to Stephanie. And I say, you don't have to worry about that because I've already factored that in. But what you can't do is then do comparison and go, I want to eat like Stephanie, but I want to get the results like I'm getting, right? You have to sort of pick, you know? And it's interesting because I've brought up multiple times, you know, I, you know, when I say that I've been in PR for four years, people have to understand, you know, I did have one mini cut in that time period. And, um, you know, I, I don't ignore weight fluctuations and things of this nature. So I will have small interventions as we go, but for the most part, you know, I'm going to keep my calories 3,500 to 4,000. And what you have to realize in that scenario, and I think for me, there's a comfort level as a man that's different than, you know, um, some of you might be as a woman. You know, I've talked pretty openly about this because I feel like it's something that can help people to know, but I'm on testosterone replacement. So the thing that I wanted to do with testosterone replacement was to make sure that I was getting the most out of it. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because there's a lot of women on this call or listening to this podcast that are going to consider hormone replacement, but they're not going to consider what happens when hormone replacement comes, right? What you should be doing when you are getting your hormones replaced is not making your hormones work harder, make your hormones work better. So if you look at under eating, overall, it's a stressful environment. What I wanted to do was be able to build muscle in that time. And I wanted to give my body the, over the course of years to be able to adjust. So I went into testosterone replacement. I had already come to some thought processes related to PR that you know, basically my last cut was right around when I was 50, that I was going to give myself between 55. And my mental processes in that in that time period really needed to change because I, I, I knew that I would be managing my weight less, right? And I needed to give my body a chance to adjust to having more testosterone, right? Like you, you go, you take testosterone, replacement or hormone replacement because you're you're lacking what i didn't want to do is then go under eat it was kind of interesting because the the person um that runs the clinic that i get it from is a bodybuilder and so he thought it was weird that i was not going to under eat right because many bodybuilders as an example used testosterone replacement or in, you know, more extreme scenario steroids to kind of make up that difference. Right. And that's one big criticism I have of bodybuilding in general is that, you know, the bodybuilding part kind of never happens, right. Or it doesn't happen for most people. It kind of happens for people that go to an extreme level where they'll kind of super bulk and gain 50 to 60 pounds and then constantly be cutting and bulking as a result. Um, there's so many different um, versions of that, that we could literally have podcasts for two months on what the different versions are. But at the end of the day, 
if you're, let's say, a natural bodybuilder and you're constantly dieting to stay stage ready, you're just not going to really see any long-term results that are going to matter from the standpoint of bodybuilding. There's a lot of conversation about, well, you can build muscle in a deficit. I mean, you can address some deficiencies when you have kind of a big hole in your game, but most people who've been training for years don't have that hole in their game. So there's only two ways to really address progress, right? You're going to have to build more muscle by having more raw materials, which is food, right? Or you're going to have to, to bring in something to help. You know, um, if you're a natural bodybuilder, there are some federations that will allow you, as an example, to um, get back to normal. Um, and then, of course, there's the extreme examples like Mr. Olympia, where, you know, there are basically no rules at all. So um, which is a long way to answer your question. Right. But I'm just saying that if you're going to go into PR, give PR a chance. You know what I mean? You don't have to give it four years, right? But I'm just, I, I, I like people to know that extreme example because, you know, it, it's how your body would prefer to work, right? Your body would prefer to work well fed. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know at 55 that I'm just going to, you know, immediately cut because I said I could right? I know the secrets, right? And the secrets are actually pretty easy for almost all of us. And so I feel like once you know that, and you know, there's a lot of people talking about Lifetime. The reason why I think so many people sign up for Lifetime is because we put them back in charge, right? And the more you're in PR, the more you will be in charge. Okay, John asks, can you describe the type and quantity or frequency of exercise that you can recommend in each of the Eat to Perform stages? In particular, what balance between resistance training and cardio do you recommend? So this is a, this is a complicated question, right? Because there's optimal and then there's optimal for that person, right? You know, I know Carolyn and, and Becky, yeah, we've already talked about it. Um, I've played pickleball for the last seven months, right? Is that optimal? No, not really. You know, do I enjoy it? I mean, I enjoy it so much that I woke up this morning. You know, I normally play in the evenings, but because I was doing this, I decided to play in the morning for, for once. And you know, I ended up playing for three hours. Now, is that good for holding on to muscle? It probably is for me because like I said, I eat 3,500 to 4,000 calories a day. So, you know, any muscle that I would be tearing down, I'm probably going to build back up relatively easily. I do about two days worth of resistance training in that regard. Um, in terms of the phases, you know, I would say that there is a Towards the end of each fat loss cycle, there's probably some benefits to making sure that you're getting um, an adequate amount of steps and maybe pushing that. The problem with saying what I'm saying to you right there is that 
People hear that and they go, I am not stopping my workouts. Paul did not just tell you to stop your workouts. Your coach did not tell you to stop your workouts. What happens in that conversation is someone is saying to us, I'm very frustrated because I'm not losing weight. And I've been in this fat loss cycle for four weeks now, and I want to lose more weight. Or maybe they've lost an adequate amount of weight from what we believe, right? But they want to push it a little bit more. And then you say, well, let's pull back on your workouts a little bit and let's push the cardio side and let's try and accelerate some of that piece of things. And then people go, oh my God, I go to the gym for therapy. It's like, okay, first of all, we're not talking about something that has to happen. We're just making a suggestion on what could happen. But if you're doing resistance training, part of what you're doing is you're asking your body to stay well hydrated. Your body's going to hold on to more when you're resistance training than it would if you were doing, you know, lists, you know, which is either walking or jogging. That's just fact, right? Um, it just needs more of the, the nutrients that you're putting in your body or the sodium that you're putting in body. So it holds on to it more, right? And a lot of people in that process become a lot leaner, but they don't necessarily see the weight go down, right? And, you know, it's kind of a tricky thing. You can really get super into the rabbit hole of, of body fat percentage and, and all this other type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, too many of us look at the, the scale weight as our determinant, right? Um, in, terms of, in terms of as you move to AP and PR, the answer is do what you like the most, most of the time, right? So does that mean that, um, well, so I'm, I'm not giving a great example here. I do have, I do have some bands here. I, I am in California and I've been here for 30 days, right? They, they do have a gym here. It's quite expensive. And, you know, with the weather so nice, we can just kind of default to pickleball. But I do have bands. I did have plans to use them. I'm just having too much fun doing what I like, right? So in my view, do what you like the good majority of the time. Make sure that it's well-fed. If you're looking to be optimal, if you're willing to do some things that you don't completely enjoy, but you want to see a better look in the mirror, you know, I would say for almost all of us, a good mix of, of cardio and resistance training. What does that mean? Well, if you're trying to look better in the mirror, I would say three to four days worth of resistance training. <laughs> and then um, I would keep your uh, cardio, like especially like any kind of running or any, you know, high intensity on opposite days. Does that mean that it has to be that way? No, you could have do like, you know, your jogging or long distance running or something like this in the morning and you could do hit in the evening. But as you get older, rest matters a lot, right? And so um, that's what I would suggest. Now, that, that's in, if you're in PR or AP. 
Um, if your goal is to get better at cardio, you reverse it, right? You only keep your resistance training down to, I would say, as little as two days a week. And I think you can do good full body work. You know, it's probably a lot of what Stephanie does um, with her um, templates. Those are really good workouts for full body resistance training, right? So um, that would be my suggestion, but, but I want you to think of it two ways. There's performance. And performance basically means getting you, you know, the heart health, the, the cardiovascular piece of things. That's what performance is. And so we'll see performance people with just crazy macros, right? Um, because they have to preserve their muscle as they're going. Then you have the recomp, right? So that's the performance slash recomp. That's what PR means, right? So recomp is you're trying to, Maybe your macros won't get to be like this absurd level, but you'll at least get it to the point where you're pushing it into a surplus most of the days. And then you'll have your kind of lower days to kind of flush everything out and you can uh, manage your weight that way. So that's the answer to your question. Okay. Terry has a question about, um, weight training. She's fairly new and hasn't done a whole lot of weight training. I would like to know what kind of schedule I should start with two to three times a week and what body part combos. So it sort of depends on what you like, right? Um, Stephanie's stuff is really good. Um, any type of, so like when people recommend other things, I often wonder why, right? Because, you know, we have short workouts and we have long workouts, right? So quick gains, as an example, is a short workout protocol. And you'll see it be up five to six times, you know, a week, right? You don't have to use all five to six. You can use five to six, two days a week, and then break it into three weeks, right? Just follow the template as you go. If I'm you and I'm new to training, I start with two. And then on my off days, I make sure that I'm getting in steps. I'm staying active. You know, I'm doing something that, that I enjoy. Um, and then you move to three or four. To be completely honest with you, I don't think anybody needs more than four. I mean, some of the best bodybuilders in the world work on bodybuilding splits that are four days and then they allow for rest. I think, you know, I'm not pointing anyone out here, right? But some of us are going to the gym way too much for the wrong reasons. And we're trying to earn our calories and things of this nature. You have to allow your body to recover, you know? And it's interesting because, you know, I'm here with a lot of older people. And I'm seeing these older people showing up at pickleball at, in the morning, and then they show up in the afternoon and play another couple hours of pickleball, and, and I'm lecturing every single one of them. I'm like, you guys need to rest more. You know, you're going to end up getting hurt. And what happens is they do get hurt. We're seeing that across the way. We're, well, most of what we're seeing is like people showing up like hunched over, 
you know, like walking, like if you are hunched over walking to the courts, that's a couch day, right? Um, You can maybe walk around the neighborhood or something of this nature, but in general, you want to make sure that um, you're, you're fine. I know early on, this is big in the CrossFit community, by the way, where, you know, people are on foam rollers, you know, just to be able to work out, right? Um, first of all, if you're going to use a foam roller, don't use it in the beginning of your workouts. The, the, it constricts your muscles, right? Um, if you're going to use a foam roller, use it post-workout. That's going to be best. Um, but if you have to use a device just to, just to loosen up the muscles or enough to work out, you know, factor in some rest days. So I don't think anyone needs five to six. Now there's a case for five to six. The case for five to six is that you might be training for a competition or something of this nature, right? So kind of keep that in mind that, you know, this is probably the thing that I've become the smartest about for my life personally is just relaxing more and, and wondering what the end game is. Like, what am I going to be able to do when I'm 80? You know, seeing all these people that I'm, I'm, you know, working out with every day, you know, that are 75, 80 um, is inspiring. What I don't want to do is just trash my body, right, to earn food. That's not what he performs about, right? And so in you're trying to retrain your brain for all this stuff, you know, is it an advantage for your body to be able to use the nutrients that you're eating? Yeah, it's an advantage, right? But your body, for the most part, can deal with it without you having to show up to the gym, right? Like people saying, well, the gym is my therapy. You know what else is therapy? Two more hours of sleep a night, right? Like hot baths, you know, getting a massage, all these other things. Just just don't fall into the trap of having to earn your food. Okay, Gina has a question. I'm good at getting basic greens, but usually let sugar and sodium fall as they do. How bad is this in terms of, of or successful weight of successful weight loss? So in terms of successful weight loss, if you're seeing weight loss, then it doesn't matter at all, right? Um, the problem that you run, so sodium is, is a whole separate issue and we could talk about that in here in a second. The problem with sugar is that you're kind of taking away useful nutrients for something that isn't all that useful. And then when calories get lower, I think what you're going to find is that you just can't do that, right? But just, you're going to end up being hungry all the time and you're just going to hate life. You know, I do save room for, you know, dark chocolate or something of that nature when my calories um, start to get lower. And I do use a little bit of time management so I can eat kind of bigger meals since the calories are a little bit lower at that time. Um, But, you know, if you can stick to the sugar recommendations, now a lot of people will say, what if it's from fruit? It's better if it's from fruit because not because of the sugar itself, right? But because of the micronutrients that are carried with the fruit itself, right? Also 
often comes with fiber. That's, that's favorable. So those don't tend to be negative. Um, but the answer, plain and simple, is if you're seeing success, there's no real reason for an intervention. Now, will your coach bring it up? Yeah, they probably will. You know, but it's more of a suggestion and not necessarily a rule. In terms of sodium, you know, I mean, this morning I played in – I'm sorry that this is just becoming about pickleball, but you're asking me questions, right, that are directly addressed in what I'm doing. I played in 98-degree heat for three hours. If I keep my sodium reasonable, I'll be dehydrated. Right. It's taken me multiple hours just to get close to being rehydrated. Right. And so sodium plays a really big role in that. You know, if you're just drinking water, like one of the things, you know, be being here, you know, I was talking to like this beach volleyball person and there's been a number of athletes, this pro surfer. Um, and the one thing that I'm convincing all of them to do is stop drinking just water. Right. Start using some electrolyte mix. And oh, by the way, some electrolyte mix, like one of the ones that I use um, is liquid IV. Liquid IV has sugar in it, you know? Well, that sugar is useful because that sugar is gonna allow an insulinogenic response that is going to load the sodium in back into your muscle. So it's useful, right? So those are examples where sodium and sugar are somewhat fudgeable, right? Um, so I think it's, I think it's person dependent. Sodium has never been kind of a negative, but once again, we gotta, we gotta peel the onion back. Why are you bringing it up? More often than not, it's because a coach is bringing it up to you or you're saying, I'm not losing weight, what should I do? Well, your sodium's at 4,500 a day. Maybe if we can bring that down to a reasonable level, but if your sodium's at 4,500 a day, my daughter, great example, all summer long, her sodium was 4,500 and she just lost weight all summer long, right? So depends on what you do, also depends on what you're asking your coach. Okay, Tammy's question, I'm actually going to direct that to, um, to Becky to maybe have a look at her file because that's file specific. Uh, yeah. Car Carla has a question. I get a metabolic test once a year using the calorimeter by MicroLife. Do you expect I will see my metabolism increase over time as my carbohydrates increase? So your metabolism will not increase on a machine like that, right? Um, the only thing that I can think of, I mean, is it, is it, are we talking about the machine where you have kind of a bubble on your head, right? Cause there, there is one that will have a bubble on your head, but if, if you do not have the bubble on your head, the answer is usually no, it's usually calculating it based on the amount of muscle that you have on your body. Right. And so as you increase mu muscle, your, your metabolic rate goes up a little bit. 
So here's the secret on that. It's kind of a lie. It's not wrong per se in terms of the calculations that scientists have come up for that, but it's not person dependent. It's not specific to your metabolism. And I can tell you why. You can eat 500 calories more and say weight stable. That immediately means that your metabolism is higher, right? Can that machine measure it that way? Not necessarily. You know, it depends, like I said, it depends on what the machine is and what it's weighing. You know, most of these calculations, when you get on, you know, do a bod pod, something of this nature, people look at it as if like they are the truth tellers and they're not. They're based on formulas that have been around for quite some time. And in fact, within the last 10 years, you know, this is the topic of the book Burn, is that what we know now is that there is total daily energy expenditure. And now we've, we're understanding that there is constrained energy in, in, in energy expenditure. And what that means is, is that the more you eat and the more you do is not endless. And you go, well, okay, I knew that, right? Because, you know, the, um, you can't out-train a bad diet. That's the thing that everyone always says. And that's not necessarily true either. But what does happen is when you get to an excessive place, now you're working on being in a surplus, building muscle, things of that nature. People do not need excessive amounts of calories. So, you know, Matt Frazier used to talk about this all the time where the old calculations would put his calories around 10,000 calories a day, but he only ate 5,000 to 6,000 calories a day and he was fine. And that's an example of constrained energy expenditure, right? And so um, can you reread the question? Because I want to... Uh, uh, yeah. Recalibrate. She gets that that metabolic test once a year using yeah. the calometer by Microlife. Do you expect it will see my metabolism increase over time yeah. as my carbohydrates okay. increase? Yeah, I answered that question. So, um, yeah, you, but I just want everybody to understand that we don't even know, right? So, like from our standpoint, you know, we're pushing your metabolism by having you eat more. And we're trying to keep you weight stable. So therefore your metabolism is higher, right? But how much higher? Science really doesn't know that yet, right? Um, we know that eating more is favorable, right? Because when you, you know, you're basically a combination of trillions of cells, the more you're eating, the more useful all those cells are. That's the combination of your metabolism. But the idea that that could be measured in a lab you know, is anywhere from 5% off to 15% off, which in my view, you know, from a statistical standpoint, makes it kind of not useful. Okay, I think we just have one more here. Um, this person is in week two of uh, first fat loss after being in PR since I joined in May, and I'm finding it very doable. I was hearing all these stories of how hungry I'd be and how hard it would be, but honestly, I'm hitting greens. I feel great and I'm losing weight. Should I expect it to get harder? Are my macros too high or am I just choosing filling foods? 
I think you're probably choosing filling foods. I, I think I think what happened, you know, there's 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 just multiple types of people that are doing eat to perform. And there's some people that are very comfortable with a mostly whole foods way of eating. And then there's some people that are trying to move towards those better habits. You know, if you are a comfortable dieter, if this is something that you've you've done before, you sound like you're probably ahead of the game for most people. You know, what I think most people do, like if we go back to the sodium sugar question, right? So there's 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 two different kinds of sodium and sugar, right? There's I get it mostly from fruit, and then I try and keep my sodium reasonable so that I'm hydrated. And then there's the I like Snickers, <laughs> right? So you know, especially during fat loss, if if you like Snickers, you know, it's very much to your advantage to move that to mostly whole foods, right? So I would not be overly worried about it. Now we'll say this it will tear down and that might get more comfortable for you. I think that a lot of people that um, don't love it, you know, um, I don't think you should love it. Right. The people that do love it, you know, like that concerns me, right. Like genuinely concerns me as a human being, because, you know, I think, you know, the pressure to feel and be underfed, is very real, especially for women, right? Men, you know, we're excess, lift more, do more, right? This and that, you know, with women, I'd say only within the last 10 years has that become really valued, right? And I think a lot of that started with, with CrossFit, but my daughter brought up something interesting that I didn't even consider a few months back that, Instagram has a lot of pressure. Well, not a lot of pressure, but a lot of examples, right? Of, of women lifting weights, right? And so more women are interested in lifting weights. And that has changed a lot of things fundamentally. But in terms of, you know, what some people feel comfortable with or, or uncomfortable with, you know, that's highly independent. But you know, like I said, for the people that are like, I feel more comfortable in fat loss than PR, that that's that's always very concerning to me, you know, because, you know, if you think about it, when you're eating less, you don't always feel pressure to go to the gym. You don't always feel pressure to get in 10,000 steps. You don't always feel pressure to eat, you know, um, where you're kind of keeping your body working the right way, right? So um, that's something I would just be cautious of for anybody listening to this. Like, don't don't try to cuddle up to that that piece. I think it, it's actually more destructive than you might think. But I think you're fine. You know, might get a little uncomfortable at the lowest levels, but you know, um, I, I wouldn't worry about it. 
Okay, we have Seth just was making a comment in here um, how well he's done. He's almost at the end of fat loss too and's lost almost 40 pounds. Just wanted to say thanks. Um, he was trying to out train a bad diet before eat to perform. Haven't been this weight since I was 20, 22 years ago. Looking forward to PR, but I think I can handle the other increased calories without turning back to beer and ice cream. CrossFit coach who has just needed to eat to work out as opposed to working out uh, so I can eat. Cool. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, I don't know if anybody can see, but Seth is Jack, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, yeah, I, I need to learn that from time to time myself, you know, I mean, this has been 12 to 13 year process for me, you know, um, I come from, you know, bad habits, you know, I, I wouldn't say like the person that just talked about it's not uncomfortable for her, I guarantee she has better habits than I do. but. You know, I think for each of us, our plans become, you know, very personal, right? And you have to realize, what are my non-negotiables, you know? And for the longest time, you know, I, I brought up all these rules that made my progress, you know, um, kind of difficult. And what ended up happening is that all those qualifiers just got in the way of real progress, right? Now, because I'm on the other side of things, you know, I can bring back some of those things. You know, one of the things that, you know, I talked about it earlier, but I just never wanted one day without chocolate, right? So I needed to have chocolate every single day. I was the only, well, everything else I would, I would add vegetables in, I would mostly whole foods, all these types of things. Nowadays, you know, date night would be an example of something that I'm just not going to give up unless it's fat loss, right? So like alcohol, you know, I mean, it's so interesting to me, you know, and I know most people know that I don't drink, but, you know, I know for my wife who does enjoy alcohol socially, you know, I'm happy for her that she has that. I don't get it, right? If anybody's an alcoholic or has any kind of addiction at all, we just don't get how people can do that, but it's great for her. I just think that if you're in fat loss, you know, the one thing that I would highly suggest is to make sure that alcohol is out of the picture, you know? And then as you bring it in, you know, or back in, you know, I see people that if they have alcohol, like I have chocolate, right, where you got to have it every single day, it's just really, really difficult to get to a super level of lean, right? So that's something I would keep in mind. But thanks, man. I really appreciate you saying that. I think we're good. Becky has answered the uh, couple Waterfly questions in there. We're good. And I told Tammy that I would uh, message her within the app, just in case you didn't see that, Tammy. Okay, cool. All right. I appreciate everybody being here and guess what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye now.